Good afternoon, Rich Das, Executive Vice President with Open Systems Media, here for this week's version of Embedded Insiders with ECD, Embedded Computing Design, Editor-in-Chief Brendan Lewis. Hello, Brendan. How are you? I'm doing great. It's the best time of year. Do you want to know why, Rich? I don't know. Do I? Yes, you do. NBA Summer League starts today, and like you, I root for a team that is a bottom dweller in the NBA. So this is this is the first and second year players uh, that we just drafted who all play all the other teams first and second year players. And since we tend to draft so high and have so many young players, this is our best shot of winning anything basketball related, at least as it relates to the NBA. Well, I'm a Nets fan and I don't know what a draft pick is. So I forgot uh, about well, next year, I think that, that, that trade is finally over. So next it year. Is, it is. <laughs> hey, I, I've been trying to get in touch with you for a while. I, all last week, I was trying to get in touch with you. Where the heck were you? I was in San Jose at Sensors Expo, where Embedded Community Design happened to host a few tracks. Uh, it was a really successful event. Um, our tracks covered everything from industrial IoT to machine learning and AI. Um, the security, it was just, it was a lot of fun. We had a great turnout, um, and we're hope, looking forward to doing something similar again next year. Hey, was the Trusted Computing Group there? Yes, the Trusted Computing Group was there, and the Embedded Insiders happens to be brought to you by the Trusted Computing Group. Learn how to secure the insecure Internet of Things by visiting trustedcomputinggroup.org. Boy, we're getting pretty good at this. That was slick. We are. <laughs> what else did you learn? Uh... Um, well, so I, I think it's got to be a few months back now, but uh, if you recall to all the listeners, we discussed an incident that happened uh, in my hometown, um, Phoenix, actually a suburb of Phoenix called Tempe, where an Uber uh, that was driving autonomously hit and killed a woman who was crossing the street at night. And I definitely remember that. That got a lot of press. That was all over the place. Yeah, and um, at the time, we didn't really know what had happened, you know, those Ubers are retrofitted with a lot of different sensors. And in particular, everybody was asking what happened with the LiDAR sensor, which I believe is a Velodyne, uh, that sits on top of the, of the Uber. So anybody who's seen one of these autonomous cars driving around knows that there are these big units on the top of the vehicle itself that tend to spin, and, and, that, is, uh, and that is LiDAR in, in, in many instances. Now, what I learned is that that LiDAR actually has two to four meter blind spots off on uh, oblong angles out the front of the vehicle, and I'm assuming also at the rear, um, which is pretty curious that uh, some of these companies have felt, the, have felt empowered to take something like that out onto the road and allow it to control itself. So obviously in the case of the woman who was unfortunately killed, she happened to be within two to four meters or, you know, zero to four meters of uh, that uh, vehicle off on an oblique angle and the LiDAR just didn't detect her. So why would they do that? Why would they do what? Why would they have that blind spot in there? Well, I, I think that, keep in mind, these are retrofits. Um, you know, th this isn't a LiDAR that has been designed into the vehicle. Now, a, a production-grade uh, car with a LiDAR designed in wouldn't have that LiDAR sitting on top of the vehicle, um, but just by design and the way that it was put onto the vehicle, um, you know, there was this, this very short range 
area where it wasn't able to detect any anything uh, whatsoever. Obviously, that's a huge problem because the places that you would most want to detect are, are right in front of the car, right? Uh, so yeah, that's that's unfortunate. And I think it brings it brings up a good question for all of us. You know, being technologists, it's something we don't necessarily like to hear, but progress for the sake of progress may not always be the best thing. Wow, that's a pretty scary story. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So that sort of leads us back to one of the really popular topics at the, sh at the, uh, at the conference, uh, machine learning. It seems like machine learning it has this cycle where it was, everybody was talking about it for a while because it was, it was the new cool thing, and it's sort of gone quiet a little bit, and I, the reason I would surmise is that people are actually designing for it now, and they're in that, in that quiet period where a lot of design work is taking place, and then in the next six to probably 18 months, we'll see a lot of buzz around that where people have products coming to the light. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, it's uh, sort of funny. There are, there are a bunch of other tracks there, and machine, you know, in addition to the embedded computing design, design tracks, and machine learning is such a, you know, is such a game-changing technology that these, these tracks, which to me, you know, if, you have a, if you're running a sensors track, um, what does a, you know, designing a sensor have to do with machine learning, but it really impacts a lot of different uh, areas of technology. And in particular, I think that the big thing that's happening right now, to your point about the quiet period, is that a lot of machine learning stuff, or artificial intelligence, or neural networks, or you know, however you want to frame it, um, was really being done in this research and development mode. Um, as I've written several times on embeddedcomputing.com, um, there are a lot of that, the, those, the models for these things are so large that they have to be done in a data center, they're being done in controlled environments. Um, obviously, that is the antithesis of what we think of when we think of embedded systems. Now, um, when you're deploying these, this technology out in the world, you've got to have compute platforms that are able to support the algorithms that are created as a result of these models. And I think that right now, a lot of these companies um, who are working with machine learning and artificial intelligence are evaluating some of the uh, silicon that they would actually run these algorithms on. And that's probably not a GPU in a lot of cases. A lot of the FPGA and programmable logic guys are coming out with solutions um, that beat GPUs, CPUs, you know, whatever, um, in terms of power consumption, thermal dissipation, um, they're comp comparable performance-wise. Uh, so it's a really exciting time. And all the machine learning tracks that we had at Sensors Expo were filled to the brim, standing room only. The point about the processor is actually a good one. You can do machine learning, depending on what your definition of machine learning is, you can actually do it on something very simple. Mm -hmm. But to, to get the features that people like NVIDIA and Intel are talking about, you need the real horsepower that people like that can deliver and what, what Xilinx is doing with, with their FPGAs. Um, and at this point, it's more of a software issue. I mean, it's, it's almost completely a software issue. How so? Well, the hardware's there. It's, and what machine learning is, it's, it, it's algorithms. It's, it's right. really nothing more than smart algorithms and being, being able to learn from the algorithms, sort of a, what's the word, um, a cyclical thing where you, you would process that algorithm, it would learn from it, it would reprocess the algorithm, it would learn from it again, and this just goes on and on. 
yeah. and then you keep bringing back inputs a la sensors because, because you have to have inputs from the outside world. You refine those algorithms and they just keep getting more refined and better. And before you know it, it you have computers that are thinking. Yeah, and you know that's a really good point. Um, another thing that I wrote recently basically intimated what you just described. If people aren't familiar with this concept, um, it should be noted that the way that a machine learning architecture looks maps, maps pretty nicely on top of an Internet of Things architecture, right? Because you have a sensor at the edge that does inferencing. Um, it sees something. So like in the case of a vehicle, it will see an animal. Um, well, over a period of time, if it sees this animal repeatedly, that data gets sent back up into the model, which is probably going to be housed into in some data center or cloud somewhere. And then that model gets refined, and then a new algorithm is sent down to the sensor platform that does the inferencing. And all of a sudden, over the course of time, you realize that it's more than an animal, it's a deer or something like that. So uh, the parallels between IoT and AI are pretty, pretty... Uh, we're pretty unique, um, so keep an eye out for that. Apparently, they haven't gotten to the point yet where they can distinguish be between a person or not. Well, one last thing on that LiDAR thing. This is actually really interesting. I did meet with a company called, um, called Quantergy there, and this is another topic we talked about long ago, um, was why LiDAR, um, you know, if LiDAR was actually just a theoretical um, piece of technology that was going to be you know, consumed by a mix of other sensors um, in automobiles in particular. Um, and Quantergy creates a solid state LiDAR, which is great for automotive, firstly, because it's solid state, obviously, so that helps with a lot of the qualifications there. Um, and secondly, they also create a, a CMOS-based LiDAR versus a GAN-based LiDAR. Now, GAN-based LiDARs are also obviously very much expensive comparative, comparatively to CMOS, which helps bring the, the price down. Um, and on top of that, the company also says that they shoot a really wide beam out. So before I had questions about whether or not a LiDAR sensor would be able to, uh, you know, if there would be refraction or reflection in case of a storm or, you know, inclement weather. Um, but according to Quantergy, if the beam is wide enough, that's really not a problem unless you're in, like, pea soup fog conditions, to which they said you shouldn't be driving anyway. So. <laughs> Good point. Right. Okay. Very interesting stuff. Yep. And I've got one more shameless plug here. Uh, next week, I'm going to be back in Santa Clara at the Hyatt Regency uh, moderating a panel event on... Um, functional safety and the supply chain in automotive. Um, so that's a really big issue, especially now with all of the disruption that's occurring in that market. So if you're interested, go to jamasoftware.com forward slash company forward slash events. And the name of the event there is called Managing Safety Within a Complex Supply Chain. You can register on there and uh, show up at the Hyatt Regency on next Thursday and Maybe you'll learn something. Good stuff, Brandon. Very good stuff. Well, thank you. You too, Rich. Off to the Summer League. Absolutely. This was this week's version of the Embedded Insiders. That's Brandon Lewis. I'm Rich Nass. We're brought to you by the Trusted Commuting Group. Have a great day, Brandon. You too, Rich.